Chapter 19 of The Astonishing History of Troy Town by Sir Arthur Thomas Quillacooch. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 19 That a Silver Bullet Has Virtue, with a Warning to Commodores. Well, sir, remarked Caleb at ten o'clock that evening, after an hour's watching had passed and brought no sign of a ghost. I wish this here spirit, which spirit it be, would put itself out to be punctual. I do say as the Queen must wait while our beers are drawing, but it strikes me ghost-seeing is apt to be like Boscastle Fair, which begins twelve and ends at noon. Caleb caressed a huge blunderbuss which lay across his knee, and caused Mr. Fogo no slight apprehension. "'It puts me in mind,' he went on, as his master was silent, "'of the old Ludden, as us used to sing when us was tiny mites.' "'Riddle me, riddle me, riddle me right. "'Where was I last Saturday night? "'I sent a chimp-champ-champing at his bridle. "'I seed an old fox working hisself idle. "'The trees did shiver and I did shake "'to see what a hole this fox did make. "'Now I comes to think upon it, "'tis Saturday night, too, "'and that's odd, as Martha said by her love.' "'Still Mr. Fergo was silent. "'As for the blunderbuss, sir, "'there's no call to be afeard.' "'Tis only loaded with shot and a silver shilling. "'I heard tale that over to Tresorson, one time, "'they had pretty trouble with a leper in big hair, sir. "'Now the man nor hound could catch her, "'and as for bullets, had took him bullets like so much ballast. "'Well, sir, the old squire were out with his gun one day, "'and way to track thicky hair, round and round, for up ten mile, "'and the more lady fired, the better plays there seemed. "'Darn it,' says the old squire at last, "'Tis witchcraft. I'll try a silver bullet.' "'So he pulls out a crown piece and Amazon into a slug to fit his gun. "'He no sooner loaded than out pops the air again, not twenty yards off, and right across the path. "'The old man blazed away, and this time hit her, sure enough. "'Howsoever, I weren't too badly wounded to nip round the nap of the hill and out of sight. "'I'll have he,' cried the squire, and with that pulls at foot round the hill. "'And there, sir, clucked in under a bit of rock, and panting for dear life, were old Mally Scug. I tell you, sir, the squire made no more to do but wait to run, and never stopped till he was safe home to Tresorson. That's so. Mally were a witch, like a mother afore her, and the best proof is, her wore a limp out of this to the day of her death. Mr. Fogo roused himself from his abstraction to ask, Do you seriously believe that it was a ghost that I saw last night? Or that as may be, "'If taint, tis folks as has no business hereabouts. "'I've heard tell as you win in the law "'if you ails mum three times afore firing. "'That's what I means to do, anyway. "'As for ghosts, I do believe, but I don't believe.' "'What, that a man's spirit comes back after death to trouble folks?' "'What well, don't about spirit. "'But I heard a tell once about a man's remains "'as give a peck of trouble after death. "'Twas old Commodore Trounce as the remains belonged to.' "'and tis a queer yarn, if you never heard it before.' Caleb looked at his master. Mr. Fergo had not yet told the story of his call at the bower, but Caleb saw that he was suffering, and had planned this story as a diversion. The bait took. Mr. Fogo looked up expectant, and lit a fresh pipe. So Caleb sat himself in his corner of the window-seat, and still keeping an eye on the old schooner, began— the Commodore's progress. You've heard me speak, sir, old Joe Bonaday. Him has made poetry long with me one time when lying behind armed off Ilfricum. 
Certainly. Well, this Joe were a Barnstable man, bred and born. But he had a brother, Samry's name, as came and settled out Carnway. All these and thicky, he's used to call him. Sam was a crowder, you must know, and used to pay the fiddle over to Tregarrick Fair. But he couldn't never play more than two tunes. Which he have, he used to say. Which he have? These or thicky? That's why, though he was christened Sam, I used to call him These and Thicky, for short. I, I see. This here Sam Bonaday, though he came and settled down in these parts, was a bettermost body in some ways, and had a seen a heap of life long with old Commander Trance. Sam was teetotum to the Commodore, and acted courier when the old man travelled, which he did a brave bit, brushing his claws and shining his boots and taking the tickets, and the rest. The Commodore were mighty fond of Sam, and as for Sam, he used to say he wouldn't have been the Commodore's brother. And you see, he weren't. I, I think I understand, said Mr. Fogo. Yes, sir. Well, toward the end of his days, the Commodore was stationed out at Gibraltar, and of course takes Sam. He's been an ailing for a tidy spell, at the Commodore, when I reckoned that place finished him, for he hadn't been there a month before he took a chill. Pretty soon, Sam saw it was only a matter of time before the old man would go dead. Sam kept his master going upon brandy and milk for a while, but one day he comes in and finds him set it up in bed and staring. The Commodore was a little burgy, bustious sort of man, sir, with a squinny eye and mottles upon her face pretty near so thick as the Milky Way. And he scared Sam a bit, setting up there and glazing. The old man had no more spoil nor a babby, and had pretty nigh lost her mouth speech, but he beckons Sands to the bed and whispers, "'Sam, you've been a guide servant to me.' "'Good masters make good servants,' says Sam, and falls to crying bitterly. "'You am dying in my will,' says the Commodore, "'so you've no call to take on so. "'But looky here, Sam, there's one thing more I want you to do for your old master. "'I've been a wandering jewel all my life,' says he, "'wandering upon the face of the earth like... like...' "'Gain,' says Sam. "'Well, not exactly.' Howsoever, you and me, Sam, have a been like Jam tries eyes is geese, never happy unless they be where they baint, and that's the truth. And now, says he, I've a took a consent I'd like my old bones to be carried home to Carn, and laid to rest long with me avage. All the trances have been a buried in Carn churchyard, Sam, and I'm thinking I'd like to go back to Mun, like the prodigious son. So what I want you to do is this. When I be dead and gone, you must get a handy box made, so I shall carry easy and take me back to England. you find plenty of money for the way of the skivet in my chest there in the corner. It's a brave long way from here to England, says Sam. I know it's what you be thinking about, says the Commodore. You'll be reckoning I'll spile on the way. But I don't mean you to go by say. You must take me across the bay, and then ship aboard a train, as a takey drew Seville and Madrid and Paris to Dover. Tis the fast train, says he, as trains go in these parts but I'm doubting if it starts every day or only three times a week. I reckon, though, if he finds out, I can manage so as me dying shan't interfere with that. Well, Sam was forced to promise, and the Commodore seemed mighty relieved and lay still while Sam read to and out of the books that the old man had by him. There was the Bible, and the Pelican's Progress, and Philip Qualls, and Anna Snell, the female sodger. Sam read a bit from each, and when he comes to that part about Christian crossing the river— the old man sits up sudden and calls, "'Land, Sam, land! Fetch at last, lad!' Just like that, sir. And with that, falls back, dead. 
Well, sir, Sam was most out of his wits, first along, for grief to lose his master. But he wasn't the man to go back upon his word. So he loses no time, but, being an anti-man, rigs up a wooden chest with the help of a ship's carpenter, and a tin case to ship into this, and dresses up the Commodore inside, and nails him down proper, and with twenty-four hours in, puts across in a boat, long with his charge, for to catch the train. He hadn't barely set foot on shore, and was giving orders about carrying the chest up to the station, and thinking upon the holiness of earthly ways, as was natural, when up steps a chap in highly coloured breeches and axism, if he'd anything to declare. Sam had disremembered all about the customs, you see, sir. Howsoever, it might have been all right, only Sam, though he could tackle the lingo a bit, just enough to get along with on a journey, that is, suddenly found that he disknowledged the Spanish for corpse. He found out, sir, before the day was out, but just now he looked at the chap in the colour breeches and said, No, I ain't. What's in that box? says the chap. Now this was exactly what Sam couldn't tell him. So for lack of anything better, he says, What's that to you? I reckon I must have that chest open, says the chap. I reckon you'll be sorry if you do, says Sam. Tell me what's inside, then. Well, darn your Spanish eyes, cried Sam. Can't you be see I've been trying to think upon the word for corpse? But the chap couldn't, of course. So he called another in breeches, just as gay as his own, only stripier. And then, for up ten minutes, twas Dover to pay, all talkers and no listeners. I reckon twas as Sal said to the Frenchman, The less you talks, the better I understands thee. But Sam's blubber up by this time. However, naturally he was forced to give way, and they took the box into the custom-house and sent for hammer and screwdriver. "'Seems to me,' says the chap, prizing the lid open a bit and sniffing, "'it smells uncommon like spirits.' "'I'm thinking,' says Tam, "'if you'd be keep going on brandy and milk for a week or more, "'you'd smell like spirits.' "'I guess tis spirits,' says one. "'Or backy,' says another. "'Or furring fruits,' says the third. "'William Wrong,' says Sam, "'cause tis a plain British Commodore, "'and I reckon if you taxes that sort of import, "'you don't know what's good for ye.' "'At last, sir, they prizes open the chest and the tin case, "'and there, of course, lay the old man, "'sleeping and smiling so peaceful-like "'he looked half a Commodore and half a cherry bun. "'I suppose you mean cherubim, Caleb?' corrected Mr. Fogo. "'I do, sir. For I reckon the old man seemed happier than he were, having been a nation's scamp in his young days, and able to swear to the lass so's twould pretty nigh fetch the more out of brick wall. Howsoever, that's not to the point here. Or, oh, sir, you may fancy how them poor ignorant foreigners left that custom-house. Sam told me afterwards we're like shelling peas, speaking in pinafores. Uh, uh, metaphors, said Mr. Fogo. That's it, metaphores. "'Anyway, they just fetched a yell, and they went, sir. "'I guess Sam knowed the Spanish for corpse afore they was gone. "'In less than a minute, not a pair of coloured breeches could you find, "'nor if you wanted them fancy articles ever so.' "'Sam chuckles a bit to himself, fastens down the lid so well as he could, "'hits the Commodore aboard a wheelbarrow, and trundles him off to the train. "'He catches the train just as we're starting, sir, "'and sails away in a first-class carriage all to himself, "'with the Commodore laid along the seat opposite.' Or, said Sam, drat expense when a funeral's going. And all the way he chuckles and grins to himself, to think of the start he'd give the custom-house rascals, and at last he gets that tickled he bound to lie back and fairly hurt himself with laughing. I reckon, though, he laughed a bit too early, for just then the train slowed down and pulled up at a station. 
Sam looked out and saw a dapper little man a bustling up and down the platform, like a bee in a bottle, and prying into the carriage windows same as if the train were a peep show. Presently he opens the door of Sam's compartment and axes, holding up a telegram, "'Be you the party as is travelling with a dead man?' He spoke in Spanish, of course, sir, but not knowing the tongue, I tells it to you in English. "'I, I had guessed that to be the reason,' replied Mr. Fogo. "'Well, Sam were a bit took aback, but he answers, "'Yes, I be. Why?' "'Want em buried?' "'Why, no, not particular. Sooner or later, of course, but thank you all the same. I'm thinking to do it a bit further on.' "'Then,' says the dapper man, "'I'll trouble you to hand over the burying fees for this parish.' "'But I ain't going to be buried deceased in this parish.' "'That don't matter. If a corf has use of this parish, he's got to be paid fees.' "'How's that?' "'Why, a corpse is dead,' says the chap. "'You'll allow that, I suppose.' "'Yes,' says Sam. "'I reckon I'll allow that.' "'And if a corpse is in this parish, he's dead in this parish.' "'Likely he is,' admits Sam. "'Well, according to law, anybody dead in this parish is bound to be buried in this parish, and therefore to pay fees,' says the man. "'And now I hopes you'll hand over the money, cause the train's waiting.' Well, Sam was for a raising a rumpus, and gathered a crowd round the door. But they all sided with the dapper man, and said, "'Twas Spaniard's law, and if he wouldn't pay, he must get out and bury the Commodore there and then.' So he gived in and pulled out the money, and off they starts, the dapper man standing and bowing upon the platform." Sam leant back, and I ciphered it out, and couldn't see the sense of it. But, says he, when you're in Turkey, you do as the Turkeys do, according to the proverb, so I guess tis all right. And if it appears wrong, tis only that I bain't used to travelling with corpses. And with that, he settles down, and goes to sleep. He hadn't been long sleeping when the train pulls up again, and after a minute in comes another chap with a telegram. Deceased? asked the chap, pointing to the chest. "'Moderately,' says Sam. "'Wants burying, perhaps?' says the chap. "'I reckon he'll hold on a bit longer.' "'Next parish, likely?' "'Why, yes,' says Sam, "'or next after that.' "'And what it is to be rich,' says the man, kind of envious-like. "'What do you mean by that?' Sam asks. "'Never mind,' answers the man. "'Twent no business of mine. "'Would you kindly hand me the fees for this parish?' "'Well, Sam argues the matter again, but in the end he pays up.' "'Though,' says he, "'I'd a notion travelling were costly afore this, "'but darn me, you've got to be dead afore you size it up. "'I've heard as a man can't take nothing out of this world, "'but blessed if I ever got the grip of that text "'till I travelled in Spain.' "'Well, sir, pretty soon the same thing happened again. "'And to shorten the yarn, "'every time they got into a new parish and pulled up, "'in walked a chap with a telegram and asked for burying fees. "'Luckily there was money to pay on, "'for the Commodore had left a bravish sum for travelling expenses.' And by and by Sam begins to take a sort of pride in putting out his purse. "'Talk about funerals,' says he. "'I reckon this is something like. "'Admiral Nelson? Why, Admiral Nelson didn't cost half so much. "'And you ain't but a Commodore,' says he. "'Devil fly away with thee, Master. "'But so long as the coin lasts, Sam won't cry wower. "'The words weren't fairly out of his mouth, sir, "'when the train draws up and in steps another man. "'He comed in so quiet that Sam didn't see him at first. "'But when he turned round, there was a man standing and staring at him. It was a strange-looking party, dressed in black, a better most body-like. "'Oh, good evening,' says Sam. "'Good evening,' says the man in black, and nods towards the chest. "'I was deceased.' "'Getting a bit costly,' answers Sam, "'but doing pretty well, considering.' 
"'You're wanting more fees, I reckon?' "'And with that he dives his hand into his trousy pocket. "'I don't want no fees,' says the man. "'Sam has knocked upon a heap with this. "'Well, then, you're the first man I've ever met in Spain as doesn't,' he says. "'That ain't unlikely,' says the man. "'And Sam noticed for the first time that he'd been speaking English all along. "'I'd be a travelling same as you,' he adds. "'You'll excuse me, sir, but this compartment is reserved.' "'That's a pity,' says the stranger, "'cause the strains are started.' "'So it was. "'Sam hadn't noticed it, but they was moving on. "'Howsoever, he determined to make the best of it, "'so he ups and says, polite-like, "'Terrible hot weather this, ain't it, sir?' "'Somehow it seemed to Sam "'as if it had got hotter since the stranger had in. "'I don't feel so mighty hot,' says the man, "'but there I've been a good deal in hot countries. "'How's deceased taking this journey?' says he. He ain't complaining, and then in life he weren't a complaining sort. Oh, sir, but a man must be over nice if a funeral like this don't satisfy him. Phew, but tis awful. What's awful? The eat, answers Sam, mopping his forehead. But I suppose you am a traveller and accustomed to eat. Why, yes, says the other. I do travel a purty passel to and throw upon the earth. Few folks travel more than me. Well, it kept getting otter and otter, and Sam cussed and mopped and mopped and cussed, and all the time the stranger were cool and easy. He kept asking, too, about the old Commodore and his past life, and appeared to take interest in Sam, and altogether seemed a proper gentleman. And all the time it kept getting otter and otter, till Sam was fairly running to waste with sweating. At last he pops his head out the windy for fresh air and cries out, "Hello, there's a station!' Well, the train pulls up, and Sam says to the stranger, "'Looky here. Would you mind keeping your eye upon the old man while I runs out to get a drink? "'I reckon I know thirst afore this,' he says, but I were mistook.' "'The stranger was very willing, and away Sam goes. "'He went away more than a minute, but when he comes back and takes a look at the platform, "'my, sir, there weren't no trace of the train to be seen, not a vestment. "'You see, they don't blow no whistle in Spain when the train goes. "'And there was poor Sam, left stranded. "'Well,' He telegraphs, of course, to the next station, and in less than an hour back comes an answer to say as they searched the train when he stopped, and there weren't no corpse there, nor chess, nor nothing. And if you believe me, sir, concluded Caleb, bending forward and touching his master's knee, the old Commodore ain't never been found from that day to this. It almost broke Sam's heart, and as he said to me one time, for all I knows twas the devil, and for all I knows the old master be travelling round Spain to this day. But if so, says he, I reckon by this time he's like Paddy Ward's pig, no lavender. That's a very curious tale, said Mr. Fogo, as Caleb leant back in the window seat and awaited its effect. Ah, tis so true, sir, as I'm here, or so Sam used to say. And the moral goes again talking lightly of what a man don't understand, he added reflectively. But foreboding is so bad as witchcraft, and tis more than likely they won't come to-night. But if they does— "'Tis only fair to ask men who they be three times before a firing. "'What's fair for man is fair—' "'He broke off and clutched his master by the arm. "'Look, sir, look!' "'About the deck of the old schooner a shaft of light was dancing fitfully, "'now here, now there, up and down, and all without visible source of guidance. "'The two watchers leapt to their feet and peered out of the window. "'The strange brilliance flickered to and fro, falling even on the further bank— and threading with a line of yellow the silver-grey of the moonlight. 
that it ceased suddenly. Caleb and his master waited breathlessly. Half a minute passed without further sign, and they heard a light splash or two, and Mr. Fogo pointed frantically at the line of the moon's reflection on the creek. "'There! Look! The boat!' Caleb whipped the blunderbuss up to his shoulder and shouted, "'Who be ye? Darnie, here goes! One, two, three, all to once!' He pulled the trigger. A tongue of flame leapt forth and burst upon the night with a terrific explosion, and as Caleb fell backwards with the shock, the clumsy engine slipped from his fingers and fell with a clatter upon Mr. Fogo's instep. When the pair recovered and looked forth again, the echoes had died away, and once more the night was tranquil. End of chapter 19